Now, in our church, um, what we normally do is we work our way through books of the Bible. So we'll start at the beginning of a book and we'll work our way through to the end, just taking it uh, week by week. So this year so far, uh, January, can remember we did, we did a couple of Psalms. Did Warren do a couple of chapters out of Revelation while I was away? Um, and then we did 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We just worked our way through the books. If I can give you a clue as to what's coming soon, we're going to do 1 Chronicles together. Enjoy reading the first 10 chapters of that. Um, 1 Chronicles, then we're going to do 2 Timothy and Amos to fill out the year. We, we believe here at Chatsworth Presbyterian that the Bible is God's word to us. We believe that God has spoken the Bible to us. And so what we do, we try to spend our time together working out what God is saying in his word. And, and we, we think about how what God is saying in his word applies to us today. That's what we're on about week after week after week. But for just one month each year, we do things a bit differently. For one month each year, we take our time to think about a particular topic. Now, we still use the Bible, trust me, but rather than starting with the Bible text and then thinking about what it means, we start with a topic and then we try to think about what the Bible says about the topic. This year, our topic is going to be peacemaking. The talk's going to be based on this book. It's called The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict. It's by a guy called Ken Sand. It's a book that I do highly recommend. So we're going to have these four talks. And then we're also going to have a seminar on the subject. We're not going to be doing any Bible studies on the subject. Usually we do Bible studies with our Bible talks week by week, but we're going to do different things in Bible study. We're going to do a thing on um, sharing our faith. Uh, so there's not going to be Bible studies on this topic, and there's not going to be question times either. Normally we have a question time where, where we can feed back about it. Instead what we're going to do is have this seminar. Did you see it advertised on the back of the order of service there? Can I ask you to get this into your diary? I'd be really encouraged if there are none of these left in the pews tonight because there are a few things I'm hoping you'll take home with it and this is one of them saturday june the 4th june the 4th is a peacemakers seminar that'll be the opportunity it's going to be all days 9 to 4 30 something like that that'll be the opportunity to really consolidate what we learn in these talks and also ask you questions so kind of hold your questions up maybe even write them down and save them up for the seminar 4th of june we've got uh, a couple of trained peacemakers uh, from our own denomination our own john Irvin from our 10 30 service also a man by the name of bruce meller if you can possibly get there it's, uh, it should be very, very worthwhile. Okay, so in church there are four talks based on four principles in the book. This evening what I want to do is give you a very long introduction on the subject of peacemaking and then look fairly briefly at the first principle. Then the next three talks will be the next three principles. Okay, know where we're going? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you that he has brought us peace. We pray that as we reflect on the topic of peacemaking over the next four weeks, that you'll help us to command the good news about Christ, to grow in Christ-likeness as we face and resolve conflict. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, peacemaking. Why would we think about this topic? I mean, there's any number of topics I could choose for one, you know, our one yearly topical sermon. Why, why spend a month of our lives on this particular subject, peacemaking? The answer... Because God thinks it's important. God wants us. More than that, God commands us to live at peace. In fact, it's why Jesus 
came to live and die and rise again for us. The Bible says that Jesus brings us peace. First, Jesus brings peace between us and God. Peace between us and God. You and I, the Bible says, are sinners. That is, we don't love and obey and worship God the way he deserves. We've turned away from him, rebelled against him, refused to treat him as God. The Bible says God is angry with us for our sin. Our sin makes us what the Bible calls enemies of God. But God gave Jesus to take our sin away so we can be forgiven, so we can be what the Bible calls reconciled to God. You know the word reconciled? You have a falling out with someone, you have a fight with them or something, but then you get reconciled. You become friends again so we can be reconciled to God, so we can have peace with God. From Romans chapter 5. Thank you. Excellent. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus brings peace between us and God. More than that, though, Jesus brings peace between Christians, uh, peace among his people. So this uh, next passage here, thanks, Scarlett, there, from 2 Corinthians. Brothers, it says, Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Notice the command there. And here's the promise. The God of love and peace will be with you. Notice command and promise. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Peace between us and God. Peace among God's people. Jesus also calls us to live at peace with everyone else. So from Romans again, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God demands that we live at peace. And we saw that over and over again in John's letters, didn't we? One, two, three, John. Over and over again, we were constantly called, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. This, this, is, this, is, this command goes back to the beginning. This is basic. In fact, he says... Your faith in Jesus is a complete farce if you don't love each other. Say you love God till you're blue in the face. You don't love other Christians. You're kidding yourself. God takes this very, very seriously. In fact, do you know what? Jesus has staked his reputation on our unity. Have a look at what Jesus says here. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you can build a big church. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you can memorize two ways to live. By, by this, all men will know if you might, that you are my disciples, if you can get some really good church principles or church programs happening. No, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We Christians believe in a God who has brought peace. And that peace must show itself among us. If it does, that is a powerful testimony to the world that Jesus is real, that he's done something real. If it doesn't, we bring the name of Jesus into disrepute. How can we say Jesus brings peace, but then have no peace ourselves? I was just talking to someone here yesterday, and uh, he's telling me about how he's been trying to share the gospel with his dad. And his dad said, well, Christianity... What does it do? It just makes for wars and fights and conflict. It was John Calvin who said, the biggest enemy of Christianity is not the pagans out there. The biggest enemy of Christianity is not the Pope in Rome. The biggest enemy of Christianity is bad Christians who give a terrible advertisement for Jesus. 
Jesus takes this very, very seriously. In fact, I'm going to show you now is a pretty stunning thing for him to say. He puts making peace even before worship. Have a look at this one. He's talking to some Jewish people going to offer their sacrifice. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, about to worship God, get your sins forgiven, offer the sacrifice, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. I'm still going bar bar or moo moo or whatever it is. Leave it there at the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You think you can worship God and not be at peace? Jesus says, you're kidding yourself. You're nothing but a hypocrite. Why should we think about the subject of peacemaking? Because it is important to God. God demands, commands, wants, desires that we live at peace. But, and this is a second reason why, we, why I think we need to look, about, look at this subject, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to live at peace. Conflict is a reality of life. Conflict happens all the time, doesn't it? I think about my week this last week. It's been a pretty quiet week, but uh, this last week I had conflict with my wife. It's none of your business. I'm not going to tell you about it. Um, I had conflict with my children. It's also none of your business. I'm not going to tell you about that either. I had conflict with a person on the phone. Oh, man. Rang this insurance company, and the number that they gave me, the lady said, oh, no, no, I can't help you. I've got to put you under someone else. Yeah, of course. 15 minutes on hold, and then the second lady said, no, you've got to go back to the first lady. Conflict on the phone. <clears throat> I had conflict on the road. Uh, a couple of days ago, I had all my kids in the car. was pulling out of William Street into Penshurst. No one would let me in. There was this big queue in the right-hand lane because I needed to turn right. So I pulled into the left-hand lane and sort of tried to merge right. Behind me, this lady started honking a horn, honking a horn, and so I pushed into the line. And this person I just saw out of the corner of my eye, I won't do the signal, I heard the swearing, swore at me loudly and stuck a finger up at me, right? And I was thinking, oh, my kids are in the car and everything. And I got in there and I looked in the revision mirror. It was this little old lady. <laughs> There's something very weird about this. This little old lady has just given me the finger and sworn very loudly at me. Conflict on the road. Uh, life is full of conflict, isn't it? Now, many of us, if we live with other people, we probably had conflict today. If you live with your parents or with your children, particularly, you probably had conflict today. The vast majority of us would have experienced conflict at some point in the last week. It's happening all the time. Now, sometimes, but sometimes there's nothing ungodly about it. It's just, it just comes from our being different. We've got different tastes, different ideas about what should happen, and we get in each other's way. So the kids think they should have McDonald's for dinner. The parents think they should have Brussels sprouts. There's no issue of godliness. It's just different tastes, different ideas, getting in each other's way. There's a clash of interests, a clash of desires, conflict. Sometimes there's nothing ungodly, although, of course, sometimes we conflict because of ungodliness, don't we? Sometimes it's because we're being greedy, maybe being selfish, maybe being impatient or irritable. James puts it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. There's such thing as conflict that arises from our ungodliness. 
but not all of it. Some conflict just comes out of life. The, th the thing is, though, reality is it happens all the time. And do you know what? The closer you get to people, the more conflict you have. Uh, it, it's conflict. The, the biggest conflict is between husbands and wives and parents and children or, or, or whatever. The, the closer you get, the more you conflict. It, it, in our church, as long as we keep each other at arm's length, it's going to be fine. Okay? There's not going to be any conflict as long as we stay away. But, but if we actually start doing what God commands us to do and loving each other and getting involved in each other's lives and you know, hanging out on the weekend together and stuff like that, conflict will arise. John Irvin from our morning service preached at the General Assembly of Australia a few years ago and he said that being in church, I think I might have told you this before, it's like porcupines dancing. Okay? He says if, if, if they stay very separate from each other, they don't prickle each other but they can't dance. Yeah, he says they've got to get close to dance, but once they get close, they start prickling each other. Right? It's an image of church. We've got to get close in, in order to fulfill God's command to love each other, but once we get close, we start prickling each other. Yeah? If we get serious about being a godly, loving church, there will actually be more conflict, not less. It's, it's part of life. Now, I'm not saying that there's any particular con conflict in our church at this time. That's not why we're doing the series. It's not like I've seen some terrible conflict and now I want to do this. In fact, I decided to do this series was more than 12 months ago that Warren and I worked out that this is what we would do. It's just that there's this issue in all of our lives. It's so important to God that we live at peace, but it's hard to do. There's conflict all around us. And the thing is, and this is the third part of why it's important to study this topic, there are all kinds of ways that we can respond to conflict. We can respond to conflict in ways that bring honour to God, in ways that grow us as Christians, in ways that commend the gospel, in ways that, that lead towards genuine peace. It's possible to respond well to conflict, but it's also possible to respond in ways that dishonour God, in ways that lead away from genuine peace. All kinds of ways we can respond. According to the Peacemaker book, there are three basic ways that we can react to conflict. And the author illustrates these very well, so let me quote from him. So this I is not me, it's uh, Ken Sand. I love to backpack in Montana's spectacular Beartooth Mountains. It's definitely not me. Uh, one year, I ventured out late in, in late spring with three friends. The streams were still swollen from melting snow. Ten miles into the mountains, we came to a stream where the bridge had been washed away. The water was deep and icy cold. There was one place where we might have been able to cross by leaping from rock to rock, but it would mean risking a fall into the rapids. As we stood there trying to decide what to do, three different perspectives surfaced. One person saw the stream as a dangerous obstacle. Afraid that one of us might fall in and be swept away, he wanted to turn back and look for another trail. Another friend saw the stream as a means to show how tough he was. He wanted to wade straight across, even if that meant we would be wet and cold for a few hours. But two of us saw the stream as an interesting challenge. Of course, this is an American book, so the author is one of the heroes in the story. Um, and uh, he goes on to uh, tell the story of how they managed to find a very interesting way across the river. And I encourage you to read the book. You can find out how they got across the river. But then he makes his point. Uh, the three reactions to the river are much like the three reactions to conflict. Let me quote again. I have found that people look at conflict in much the same way that my friends and I viewed that stream. To some, conflict is a hazard that threatens to sweep them off their feet and leave them bruised and hurting. 
to others. It's an obstacle that they should conquer quickly and firmly regardless of the consequences. That some people have learned that conflict is an opportunity to solve common problems in a way that honours God and offers benefit to those involved. Okay, three basic reactions to conflict there. And then I've got for you a diagram. It's on your order of service. See, left-hand side at the, at the bottom, there's a diagram. I'm sorry it hasn't photocopied terribly well, but you should be able to read the words okay. And he just fills this out, these three basic reactions. He fills it out a bit more. So firstly, on the left, you've got the escape responses. It's the person who sees conflict as a great hazard, and, uh, and so we try to escape it, to, to, to avoid conflict. And Ken calls this peace faking, escape responses. On that left-hand side, you can see three ways that we can try to avoid conflict. Can you see a third one up there? There's denial. You ever done this or ever seen it happen in churches? You just pretend there's no conflict. Everything's fine. It's all okay. Sweep it under the carpet and uh, everything's cool. No problems at all. Meanwhile, of course, the resentment's just building and building. Uh, the next one there is flight. Doesn't mean you head overseas, although it possibly could. But that's, uh, that's where you run away from the conflict. You get out of the situation. So you have a conflict with your friend, leave the friendship. You, you have a conflict with a family member, stop talking to them. You have a conflict in your marriage, break it up. Conflict at work, change jobs. Conflict at church, change churches. You get away from the conflict. Can you see flight? Or there on the far left, the ultimate escape from conflict, uh, to kill ourselves. It's, it's extreme, but it's all too common, isn't it? I think it is still, is it the second highest killer of young men in Australia after car accidents, I think? Suicide. Conflict avoidance, escape. I have to say, this is very much the category that I fall into. I just want you all to like me. I want everyone to like me, and so I avoid conflict like the plague. Uh, not the best thing, not the best thing for you. Sometimes you need to be rebuked. Not the best thing for me. It leaves me stressed. It, it leaves me resentful. It means that there are some relationships that I'm holding back from because it's uncomfortable. There's this elephant in the room between us. I'm not dealing with it. Because it's not just me, though, is it? Avoidance is the classic Christian way to, uh, to deal with conflict. Just pretend it didn't happen. That sort of thing doesn't happen among Christians. Or, or maybe avoid the person. Sit on the other side of the church. Go to a different... Maybe leave the church. I see it happen all the time. I've seen it happen. In fact, I'm seeing it happen in some of your lives. I'm seeing it happen in marriages. Seeing it happen in families. Seeing it happen in church. We, we run a mile from conflict. We might even think we're being godly by avoiding conflict. But friends, let's face it. We're just being cowards. Doesn't produce genuine unity. It's like Ken says, peace Faking doesn't bring honour to God. A second way we can deal with conflict is by attack. So we can see conflict as this obstacle to, to getting our way, and so we attack the other person. We try to get our way by force, and Ken calls this peace breaking. So we're on the right-hand side of the diagram there now. You can see the attack response is the right-hand side of the diagram. First you've got assault. It's where you attack the person with words. You call them names or yell at them or whatever, maybe even physically threaten them, maybe even hurt them, punch them in the nose, something like that. You try to win by force. Second, moving up there, there's litigation. We take the person to court. Get the court to force them to do what you want. 
Or finally, there's murder. You resolve the conflict by killing the other person. Or on a bigger scale, you resolve the conflict by going to war. And today, there's something like 40 wars happening in the world. Again, common responses, aren't they? And uh, again, I know I can be prone to them. Especially for me, this one happens with my kids. Not so much litigation or murder, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know. Not, not so far anyway, despite the temptation. Um, but sometimes I do get my way by force with the children. I just shout louder. Or use my physical strength. And maybe that's appropriate sometimes. Certainly not all the times when I do it. How about you? Do you sometimes uh, fall onto the right-hand side of that diagram there? Do you attack to get your own way? Go harder, go louder, go stronger. Doesn't uh, produce peace or harmony, does it? All right, there's peace faking, avoiding conflict. Peace making, peace... Peace faking, avoiding conflict, peace breaking, attacking. But there is a third way. Uh, In the middle, there are all of these ways of peacemaking where we try to resolve conflict in a healthy and a godly way. We're going to explore these more over the next talks, but just let me briefly give you some definitions. So from left to right there, you've got overlook. Now, overlook, it's not the same as denial because you acknowledge that something's gone wrong, you acknowledge that there's been hurt to yourself, and then you deliberately choose to let it go. You deliberately choose to forgive and overlook offence. You don't deny it, you just choose not to act on it. That's overlook. Uh, second there, you've got, can you see, reconciliation. Now that's just between you and the other person. You do what it takes to restore friendship. So you, um, you may need to rebuke the other person or you may need to confess your own sin, you may need to apologise, you may need to forgive for sin against you, but you do what it takes between you to restore relationship. Something similar is negotiation, and that is maybe there are things that need to be sorted out. I think compromise that need to be made, you need to negotiate compromise, negotiate a solution. Next one's mediation. So this is where you've got a conflict with someone else. Uh, You've you've tried to deal with it face-to-face, hasn't worked. You call someone in to help you to kind of bounce off the other person. That's mediation. Arbitration, just slightly the next level up. That is, you've got a conflict with someone else, you can't sort it out, you bring someone in, but they're not just there to help you, you actually give them the power to resolve the dispute. Okay, it's an arbitrator, arbitration. And then finally you've got accountability. There's, particularly for Christians, uh, things like church discipline, where you may ask the church to hold someone accountable for their failure to act Failure to reconcile, failure to do what they're supposed to do. Okay, can you see where we've been so far? God calls us to live at peace. Conflict is a reality of life. And so if we're going to be godly, the question is, how do we respond to conflict? Do we peace fake? Do we peace break? Or do we find ways to peacemake? And that's what this book and this series is all about, how to find ways to peacemake, ways to try to resolve personal conflict, seek resolution, seek reconciliation in a way that brings glory to God. I hope you can see how important it is. Important to us as people, important in our families, important in our workplaces, important in our church. I just want to finish the introduction now um, by quoting from the book. Most of us have observed that peacemaking is not common in today's world. 
When people lock horns in a courtroom, a congregational meeting, the bedroom or the workplace, relationships are often severely damaged. Conflict robs us of immeasurable time, energy, money and opportunities in ministry or business. Worst of all, it can destroy our Christian witness. When believers are bitterly embroiled in disagreement or coldly estranged from one another, few people will pay attention when we try to talk with them about the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. But the opposite is also true. When Christians learn to be peacemakers, they can turn conflict into an opportunity to strengthen relationships, preserve valuable resources, and make their lives a testimony to the love and power of Christ. That was the introduction. You'll be pleased to know the one point of the sermon now is much shorter. Okay, as I said at the start, four principles of peacemaking. Because this is an American book and because he wants us to remember, they all start with the letter G. Okay? So for this last part of the talk, I want to look at the first principle. It's the principle of glorify God. Glorify God, principle number one. The next three talks will cover the other three principles. There's Gugu, get the log out of your own eye. Juju gently restore and Gugu go and be reconciled. Four G's, I reckon they're a bit of a stretch, but four G's. Okay, principle one of peacemaking. Glorify God. I'm sure you're the same as me on this. When I'm faced with a conflict, my mind is racing at 100 miles an hour. I'm ticking over a whole heap of things. I'm ticking over all the reasons why I'm right, all the reasons why the other person is wrong, and all the ways that I can get what I want. Or maybe if I know I can't win, if it's with my wife or something like that. All the ways I can get out of this uncomfortable situation and just have peace. It's all coming from the (coughs) the fight-flight part of my brain. Is that the limbic system in here, the most basic part? It's, uh, It's all about fight or flight. It's all about me. But Ken Sand reckons that the key to dealing more constructively with conflict is to shift our thinking. Let me quote. When someone mistreats or opposes us, our instinctive reaction is to justify ourselves and do everything we can to get our way. This selfish attitude usually leads to impulsive decisions that only make matters worse. The gospel of Jesus Christ provides the way out of this downward spiral. When we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, our blinding self-absorption can be replaced with a liberating desire to draw attention to the goodness and power of God, focusing on God is the key to resolving conflict constructively. Very simple, I reckon revolutionary. In the face of conflict, we need to ask ourselves a question, how can I please and honour God? Not how can I win, not how can I get away, how can I glorify God? And how can we glorify God? We saw it in our two readings. We, we trust him and we obey him. Trust and obey. Now first we need to trust God. Uh, if we're in a conflict situation, we've got to realise this is not out of control. It's not like suddenly the universe has gone out of God's control and that's why I'm in conflict. God is in sovereign control of the whole universe. He's in sovereign control of my life. If I'm in a conflict situation, then God has put me in a conflict situation. He's allowed it to happen. And, and God is good. He wants the best for us, as the Bible says we know. 
that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. When we face conflict, we've got to say, God has put me here, he's in control, and he wants to use this conflict for my good, to make me more like Jesus. It doesn't have to be something that I, that I just go through. It can be something that I grow through. It can be a gospel opportunity, an opportunity to glorify God. And so conflict is not something that I necessarily have to avoid. It's not something that should paralyze me with fear. Nor is it something that I have to win at all costs. If I'm in a situation of conflict, I should be able to trust God. Other things I can know about trusting God, I can know Jesus loves me. God loves me. If this conflict, if I win or lose the conflict, Jesus still loves me. And, and, and there's going to be a day of judgment. If I'm wronged, it's going to be fixed up in the end. I can trust God. He's got me here under his control. He's got me here for a reason. And what he wants for me is not so much that I win. What he wants for me is not so much that I escape. What he wants for me is that I glorify him, that I trust him, that I use it as a gospel opportunity. I've got to trust God in conflict. And then secondly, I've got to obey God. In this conflict situation, I should not sin. I shouldn't be selfish. I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't murder or brawl or, or steal. I shouldn't speak words of malice or hatred. Instead, I need to use this conflict as an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness, to seek the good of the other person, to, to show love and forgiveness and grace, to strive for justice, yes, but, but also to strive for reconciliation and peace. And there's plenty more to say on this, and we will say lots more over the next three weeks, but that's a pretty radical mind shift, isn't it? It's not how I'm normally thinking when I'm in a conflict. Is it how you're normally thinking when you're in a conflict? God's got me here for a reason to glorify him. Not me. I reckon it's a great thing. I'd like to be like this. I'm just not sure that it's going to be easy. I think it could take some practice. And so on your outline there, I've just got a very simple exercise from the book. You see where I'm now on the right-hand side, down the bottom. Next time, after you've had a conflict... Take this home. Another reason to take the order of service home. I'll be discouraged if I see hundreds of them lining the pews. Maybe even cut this out and put it on the fridge. Next time after you've had a conflict, ask yourself these questions. What would God say about my role in this conflict? I am pleased that you... I am not pleased that you... I've asked myself the question a couple of times this week after conflict. I have to admit the answers have been a bit uncomfortable. I need to shift focus from me to God. Okay, friends, conflict's going to happen in this world. It's not necessarily bad. It's okay. God's in control. And as we trust him and obey him in conflict, we can bring God glory. We can grow through conflict. We can show Jesus how he's made a difference to us, to other people, Conflict is a gospel opportunity. We can glorify God through conflict. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you that you have done what it takes to make peace between us and you. Thank you that Jesus came while we were your enemies and gave his life for us that we could be forgiven and reconciled to you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for peace. We pray that in response to your love and the peace that we have with you, that you would help us to be people who strive towards genuine peace. Please give us the courage 
and the humility and the godliness to deal with conflict in this way. And we pray for this series over the next uh, three weeks now that you'll give us, give us wisdom and insight so that we can be people who bring glory to you through conflict. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.